Can you really launch a business whilst you're working full time? Can you really create something in the hours you have in the evenings, before work, after work, instead of watching the latest Netflix show? Is it possible or is it just a dream sold to us to make us work a little bit harder for crappy returns? Well, the startup stories of real people who do it are what have inspired me to live my life the way I want to. And that is what I want to share with you today. A real story of someone who really built a real business and the ups and downs along the way. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast, and I'm very excited to have with me Tan from Asian Efficiency. You're back on the podcast for your second visit because in a very small clip, you told me about starting your business and how it was, and you caught my attention. You intrigued me. So I wanted to know more. Welcome back to the show, Tan. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to be here today. And uh, today we're not going to be talking about productivity as much, I guess. I guess we're going to be talking about how I built Asian Efficiency, the, the company that I have. I feel like it might go hand in hand because to build a company, you have to be productive. But we've kind of done the framework of that. So I guess my first question for you, before you launched your business, Set the scene for us. What were you doing? What was life like? How old were you? You don't have any gray hairs at all. So you were probably about 12 at the time. But set the scene for us. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in the Netherlands, uh, but I don't look like your typical Dutch person because my ver- my parents are Vietnamese. So uh, I was actually born in a refugee camp in the Philippines. And my parents actually met inside of a refugee camp. Uh, wow. And I was born there. And then... Uh, I was maybe six months old when we immigrated to the Netherlands, where I ended up growing up most of my life. And so uh, we, we grew up with very little money. We had to start our life from scratch, essentially. And so I was always very frugal growing up in that sense. And uh, one of my favorite things to do was go to the library. So I would always go to the library because we couldn't afford books to, to buy. So we had to borrow them. And so I would read the encyclopedia. And one of the books no. that I came across was uh, Rich That Poor Dad, which really inspired uh. me. And so I was maybe 12 years old when I read that book. And my parents, being Asian, of course, they said, hey, you have to become a doctor. You have to go to school. You have to get your degree. You have to do the traditional path. That's how you're going to be successful in life. And obviously, they didn't know any better being refugees and coming from you know a third world country. And that's the path that they've taken. Uh, but when I read that book, I thought, you know what? Screw school. I'm going to start my business. <laughs> and so I bet they uh, love that. <laughs> Yeah, they totally loved it because uh, I was helping them out as much as I could when I was starting my business. And and the way that happened was I taught myself how to code. So back in the day, I was 12 years old. I taught myself how to code by just borrowing books from the library, teaching myself like what programming languages like PHP. And so I was one of the first people in the world who created an open source RSS reader back in the day. I don't know if you remember what those were back in the day. But uh, I was one of the first to, to create an open source code that people could use to read headlines and, and, and uh, essentially what podcast feeds are now today or RSS feeds. Yeah. And I was one of the first people who created an open source code that allowed you to kind of parse and, and, and read that data. And so I was attracting a lot of clients who wanted to learn how they could use this technology, this code on their websites. And so uh, I started to get a lot of clients and I, I got to the point where I had to teach my high school friends how to code because I couldn't do it all by myself. And so from that point on, I kind of had like a small agency and uh, it was very successful. And I got to the point where I got a little uh, cocky, as we like to say here in the the States, uh, where Uh. I kind of start skipping school, skipping classes, thinking, you know, like, oh, I'm making $70 an hour as a as a 15 year old. Like, why do I need school? Right. Rich that poor that was right. Like, you don't need school. You just need to make money. And so long story short, I didn't uh, finish high school and dropping out. But my dream was always to live in the United States and to go to school over there. And so that was a 
thing I had to figure out, like, how do I balance work, building this business, but also going to school? So long story short, I did the SATs, got accepted to go into a college, and then moved to the United States. And um, quickly realized as an 18-year-old, I couldn't balance school and running a a business like nine hours apart, because that was the time difference between Amsterdam and uh, Los Angeles. So I ended Mm -hmm. up selling my business to one of my friends who was with me at that time. And uh, just focusing on school. And I was really humbled by the fact that, you know, I didn't graduate high school. Uh, I didn't pass the test because I didn't study. I was just focused on business. And I realized there's more to life than just business itself. I ended up meeting a guy who eventually became my mentor because I went to a public speaking talk uh, where he was very motivational, inspired people. And he was like a life coach in Los Angeles. Uh, and this is at a time when, you know, I left my business. I was trying to figure out life figure out school. So I was really inspired by this guy. And so I ended up dropping out of college <laughs> to end up working for this guy. Um, so as you can imagine, my parents weren't happy both finishing or <laughs> dropping out of high school and then also <laughs> dropping out of college again. So typical rebel here. And um, But I learned so much in the year that I worked with him. And the problem was uh, because I entered the United States on a student visa, I had to stay enrolled mm. in school. Otherwise, I couldn't stay. So long story short, uh, I got a letter one day saying, hey, Tian, hey, seems like you're not enrolled for school. You unfortunately have to leave the country because your visa is not valid anymore. Whoa. So that, then I said, oh my gosh, like, okay, um, what do I do now? So I got rid of all my stuff and it was kind of like forced minimalism. And so I said, okay, I don't want to move back to my parents' place in the Netherlands. Uh, what do I do now? So I ended up moving to Asia and I lived in Bangkok for a year where I stayed with a friend and I was trying to figure out what to do because I knew I was going to come back at some point because my parents were going to get a green card to come back and I was going to go with them. Okay. But I probably have like two or three years to figure out like what do I actually need to do and want to do and how to make a living and stuff because I didn't have much savings at that point. And so for fun, I started a blog called Asian Efficiency, where I was just publicly documenting all the things I was learning from my mentor that I worked with, to uh, all the seminars I've been to, to all the books I've read from Brian Tracy, from Tony Robbins, like any success book that you could ever read, Think and Grow Rich, as an example, I would just summarize those books uh, and kind of like share with my friends and family what I was doing and how I was doing things. And it was kind of centered around productivity and efficiency. And so I would write a blog post once a week, spent maybe five to seven hours a week as a a hobby. And then uh, money was running low. And I thought, okay, I need to do something because this is not (laughs) making any money. This is just a passion project. I never thought that this was going to make money. So I ended up getting a job in Budapest, Hungary, out of all places. How do you uh, even... There's so many questions. I have so many questions here. Not least, how do you go from living in Bangkok to getting a job in Budapest, Hungary, just before we we move on from that one? Yeah, so I met a friend uh, in San Francisco, and uh, he ended up moving to Bangkok a year later. And then when I told him about my visa situation, he said, hey, why don't you come stay at my place for a little bit? until you figure things out. I said, okay, yeah, that's nice of you. Let's, uh, let's do that. So I stayed with him for, for a little bit. And then uh, that's kind of like where the blog got started. You know, I was running out of money and I had to figure out what to do. So I, I ended up having a friend moving to Budapest and they had an SEO agency that they started. And okay. I actually had never met them in person. They were like friends of friends. But they were saying, hey, you have to go to Budapest. It's such a great city, such a great country. These guys, they're running a real successful agency. Uh, they, they would love to show you around because we have so many mutual friends. Like, you'll get along just great. So I said, okay, let me go visit them. And then I was going to go visit my parents. And so I visited the city, had a great time, got along with the guys. The agency was growing really fast. They needed somebody to manage their accounts. And I said, well, my funds are running low, so I can probably <laughs> do that. <laughs> and so I ended up staying and working with them to, to grow their agency. So I was like their, their number two person, essentially. Wow. Um, and so when I was working in the daytime on the agency at night, I would continue to write my blog post and just kind of publish like what I was learning and doing. And so over time, by accident, the business uh, of Asian efficiency started to kind of take off because... People were now emailing me saying, hey, like, 
you know, this is about a year, year and a half in. Hey, hey, Tian, I really love your content. Can I hire you for coaching or consulting or anything like that? Uh, and I said, no, no, no. Like, this is just a passion project. Like, <laughs> no, you know, uh, don't give me money. Stop. Yeah, that's literally what I said. Like, don't, <laughs> this is this is all for free. Like, please consume the free content. Because uh, I never thought this this could make money or this was like a business thing, right? And so uh, I was so passionate about this that oftentimes I would skip the happy hours that we had at work mm. and the the events that were happening at night and, and on the weekends to work on my blog because I was so passionate about it. Yeah. And so um, I would spend like five to seven hours a week working on my blog and, and just growing it. And, uh, and then at some point I got so many emails of people saying, Hey, I want to hire you. Do you have a course? Do you have a program that a light bulb moment went off? And I said, hey, maybe, maybe I should turn this into a business and, and give it, a, <laughs> give it a try. How many how many emails did it take before asking to give you money before you actually went, hmm, maybe I should give them something? Probably like 100, 150 emails, most likely, like in the span of I like a few that. months. Because, yeah, I was just, you know, in my mind, it was just, this was always a passion project, not a business. Mm. This is a passion project. Uh, so I was flattered by them. But, you know, I had a great time with the agency as well. We were growing really fast and... And so I thought, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go for the proven instead of going for the unproven, right? And uh, But I just kept getting those emails. And I said, okay, I need to do something about this. So I started to create an audio program. And I launched an audio program helping people sleep better because that's a problem that people were having. I love uh, that. At least that's what how I thought. Did, how did you decide audio program because you could have launched anything at that point you could have done coaching you could have done this you could have done that how did you decide i'm going to do an audio program oh yeah no uh i would have to backtrack that a little bit i'm glad you bring that up because i tried to do consulting and coaching and i did that for the first few things however i quickly realized that i didn't like it so Ah. i like people one-on-one like helping in person but i just don't like online coaching because I just don't feel like that's very personal. And then mm-hmm. also, um, I find that the effectiveness was very minimized compared to when we do stuff in person. Oftentimes, yes. I was working with executives and they would have to ask permission from their manager or from some leader. And then because of corporate constraints, it was very challenging to do stuff remotely like that. Uh, plus, I didn't enjoy the aspect of coaching in that sense, especially when you have like 10, 15 clients at one point, which I did. And I thought, no, nah, this is not for me. This is not how I like to enjoy my time. And so it's 10 to 15 uh, hours a fortnight, I guess, 10 to 15 hours every two weeks. And then you've got writing the blog and doing the and you've got a full time job like that's intense. Yeah. And so I quickly realized, you know, coaching is not for me. Consulting, I like to do it, but it's not like um, not a thing that I want to do like four, like five to 10 hours a week of. And so I said, I need to find something that I do enjoy. So I, I experimented with like uh, the idea of like an online course or an online program. And the simplest version I could launch was an audio program because I would record it one time, sell it, and then see what would happen. It would take minimal effort, but I could quickly test if uh, this is a good idea or not. I did my research online and I found a lot of people were struggling with sleep. And I know that sleep is one of the most important things if you want to be productive. So long story short, I created a 30-minute audio program to help people sleep better by giving some tips to help them prepare for a great night of sleep. Launched it. And on the launch day, guess how many people bought? Zero. <laughs> Big fat zero. Well, you, at Big least you did zero. the mini experiment. And you, I'm assuming it didn't particularly cost you anything to do this. Uh, to test that product. Correct. Yeah. Had minimal cost in that sense, but it was kind of like a, a demotivator because I thought, oh, oh this is no. going to be great. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of people are struggling with this. And then I realized after thinking through about why it wasn't so successful. And this is one of the reasons I think we learn better from our failures than oftentimes from our successes is that uh, I did the research, but I did research on other people on the internet not necessarily my audience, like my people who are reading the blog and ah. subscribe to the newsletter. Like I just yes. researched random people's problems, not my people's problems. And so I said, hmm, what if I flip this around? What if I actually interview the people that subscribe to my email newsletter, that read my blog, and then figure out what 
problem I can solve for them. So that was kind of the whole lean startup idea. I love this. I love and this because so, that's, yeah, find out what problems they have and then create something to fix it. That's the that's the whole aim of the game and what none of us do when we're starting businesses because we go, I've got an idea. I'm going to launch this without ever asking, does anyone want it? Exactly. Yeah. And when I was doing the interviews, I quickly realized nobody had trouble with sleep. That was not an issue. That they had. <laughs> it's, so, it's not the issue your audience had. They were sleeping like right. babies. Other people had it, that issue, but it was just not my audience. And so mm. I quickly realized what they were struggling with was there was a really popular app back in the day called OmniFocus. And mm. uh, I wrote a lot of content around that at that time, how I was using it and such. So people were kind of drawn to that. And they said, hey, I would love to learn how to use this complex app in a more sophisticated, productive way. And so after talking to enough people, I realized, oh, there's enough people who have the same problem. They want to use this app called OmniFocus, but they don't know how to use it. It's a very complex app, but it's very powerful at the same time. So I said, you know what? Uh, let me create a beta program. And I'm going to invite five people, and I'm going to work with you one-on-one -on -one to solve your challenges. And out of that, I'm going to create an online course that will basically address all the things that we've talked about. So I was building the course with people as we're going through it and validating it and creating the content. So if I found one solution for one client, I would port that over to another client and then test it with them. And then if that worked for them, try to, to, to apply this to another client and refine it. And so by working with a small group, I could create this framework or the system or this online course essentially uh, with them and validate it and make sure that people actually needed it and, and use it in, in the right way. So that was kind of the foundation of the course. And so after experimenting for maybe six weeks with this beta group, uh, I had enough content to put a course together. So it took me a, a few weeks more. And then when I launched it, it just went through the roof. Like it was it? really well received. Uh, people really loved the, 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 the content of it. The marketing was not that great, but the offer was very good. And that's the first lesson I learned very quickly. It's not necessarily how good your marketing is, it's how good your offer is. In other words, like does mm. your solution really address a pain point that people have and do they want it and need it? And so um, that's where things kind of took off. Did you know you were niche marketing at that point? No. Or niche, I, uh, sorry, no. for the Americans in the audience. No, I had no idea that I was doing that. I was just more obsessed about how do I solve a problem rather than doing some sort of niche marketing because they, you know, they, they say niches in, or the riches in the niches. Right. And I, I didn't really think about that at that time. I just thought, let me solve this problem. And if there's enough other people who have this problem, maybe I can make some revenue from this, but we'll see. And I just didn't realize how big this problem was until I launched it. Cause as I was listening to you, I heard the focus on the app OmniFocus and it just made me think what a brilliant niche market because it's a very simple question. Do you use OmniFocus? Are you getting the most out of it? Yes, no. Exactly. Would you like the course? And it it's such a brilliant niche market and I love that you found the niche market by asking what the problem was. The best the best way to do it because i think so often we talk to people about choosing a specific market it doesn't really matter which just you have to be able to find them and like this specific subject like you can find people who use a piece of software because they say i use this piece of software or they congregate in certain places or they go to certain blogs to find out about it and it's what a fantastic thing to have and i'm sure if you had six people you worked with quite closely and a lot of other people you interviewed you find out the same problem just comes up again and again and again and i don't really care what the subject is i've been teaching business for years and the same problems come up is like well where do i get money to start my business there's the same thing people ask every time. Uh, I've got this. I know I want to sell this. Who should I sell it to? Which is the exact opposite of what you did. You didn't start with the thing. You started with the people and then asked them what they needed. But everyone starts the other way around. And the same in finance. Every time, same problems come up. If you speak to people about their money, they go, I just don't know where it goes each month. 
Oh, well, there's a simple solution for that. Let's check. <laughs> Give me your bank account details. I will find where it goes for you. I'd love everyone listening to this to hear what Tan said. He found an audience and asked them what they wanted and then produced that, and that's what created the success. When he did it the other way round, where he went, okay, what's the biggest problem in the market, supposedly, and I'll just build something and see if it sells, it didn't work. But when he actually went to people and said, what's the problem, what's, what's the thing you're focusing on, I think that's genius. Um, and I know you said you just stumbled into it, but I'm sure somewhere through the mentors you had in the past and the books you had in the past, there's something in there that said, I just need to ask what they need to buy. So like, I think you're doing yourself a disservice by saying it was just, oh, it just happened. Like, I'm sure somewhere within there, there's some smarts that came through and you made it happen. And yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay. So you've created this course. You've put it online and people bought it like straight away. Was it a slow build? Was it a, did you do one of these big fancy launches where you like advertise it to millions of people and how did it work? Yeah. So the way it went down was uh, because I had a blog, I also had an email newsletter. So at that mm. time, I want to say maybe like 8,000 email subscribers at that time. And, uh, and again, I've never monetized really that email uh, list before. And so when I launched it, I just had a simple landing page that says, here's the course. And for the first 100 buyers, you're going to get a special bonus. It was kind of mm -hmm. like uh, a very simple product launch formula that's very popular online that people use. But it wasn't like time was running out or anything. Like it was just first 100 people, you get a special bonus and then you can buy the course forever, right? Uh, whenever you want to. And so the first 100 uh, bonuses flew within the first day. And I was like, oh my Whoa. gosh, like, I'm, on, I'm on to something here. <laughs> and so one thing I've learned from my mentor was when, when the iron's hot, you got to keep striking. You got to keep doubling mm -hmm. down because it's not going to last forever. And so I remember him saying that and I said, okay, this is hot. Uh, it might not be hot forever. So what do I need to do to make sure that I'm striking while it's hot? And so... Uh, I started learning how to advertise on AdWords. This was like the major ad mm. network at that time. This was maybe 2013, right? So Facebook advertising was not a big thing yet. AdWords was like the main player back then. And so I literally bought a book on Google AdWords, you know, was reading it obsessively the same week. And I thought, okay, let me launch my AdWords campaign and, and then see what, what we can do. And that is was kind of the rocket fuel to everything because once I put some basic advertisements uh, in place, uh, sure, I lost some money in the beginning because of learning how to use it and stuff. But within like two or three weeks, it started to really go and, and convert. And that was kind of the rocket fuel that allowed us me to go really full time. So it was just, yeah, we had a launch, right? And it went well, but it wasn't, it wasn't giving me the confidence to say, okay, now I have enough money regularly coming in to go full time. But once I bought AdWords and it started to profit from that, where I could spend, you know, let's say $12 to acquire a customer, but they end up paying me $70. Now that difference makes a lot of sense. And so that kind of gave me the confidence to say, now I can go full time and, and the money start growing and the, the revenue start coming in. And so that was kind of like the thing that allowed me to go full time. Brilliant. So like, I'm really curious. I have a thought in my head, but I want to know, how did you find the keyword that converted like what was the keyword that converted how did that happen because so many people use facebook adverts google adverts and they put adverts out there and their money just vanishes and there's no conversion and then they stop using it and it's it's not an easy thing to do to get that stuff working how did you discover that yeah, so back then, uh, and this shows you how, how long this ago was, um, back then when you had Google Analytics, you could actually see which keywords were converting from your organic traffic. Nowadays, mm. like there was a, a point, I think in 2015, 16 or 17, one of those years, Google uh, eliminated that feature where you, you couldn't see anymore which organic keywords were converting into sales. It would always say not set. So if you ever log into your Google Analytics and you see keywords, it will say not set. 
And that's basically they're hiding from you <laughs> because <laughs> they want you to spend money on their platform AdWords to advertise. So back then I had the f- timing luck in the sense that I could see which keywords were converting into sales because they would lead to a blog post. And then the blog post, I would update all my blog posts saying, hey, I, I even, even mm-hmm. if it was a post that you know, maybe I wrote a year ago, I would update and say, hey, I have a course on this. Go check it out. And so I knew certain keywords were working in that sense, but because it was relatively niche, I would just target keywords that had the word OmniFocus in it. So anything that contained the word OmniFocus, I would just bid on it. And because nobody else was doing it, I was the only advertiser at that time for that specific uh, program or keyword. I was always at the top, no matter how random the keyword was, I was always at the top. And so that kind of gave me first mover's advantage. And then when people start making notice that I was growing my company and using this platform, other people start creating courses and they start bidding on it. And that's what I remembered from my mentor was like, hey, when iron thought strike it, because as soon as other people see you do well, they're going to start coming in and copying your stuff and, and, and replicating what you're doing. Uh, because if it's working, then there's probably money to be, to be made there. And so I, I learned very quickly from that really diving into, okay, this is not going to last forever. I'm going to milk it as much as I can and then move on to the next product, (laughs) uh, whatever that might be. Let's just go back slightly. The mentor you've spoken about, is that the same one that you worked for a year in in LA? Yeah, same person. Yeah. So he had a life coaching business in LA and uh, it was a relatively small like personality, not, not anybody famous. Like uh, but he had an online business and he used an email list to generate leads that turned into clients. And so mm. my initial start with launching Asian efficiency was, oh, well, I need to start an email list because that's what Nick did, my mentor. Um, so he always stressed the importance of having an email list. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So on day one, I had an email list right out of the get-go, which I know... Uh, having talked to other people who teach entrepreneurship and starting online businesses, one of the common mistakes that people make is when they launch a website or a podcast or a blog or anything like that, that they don't have an email list or an email newsletter from day one. They add it many years later, which they probably missed out on lots of uh, potential customers and clients. And so I knew from day one that was something I wanted to to have in place. And uh, I also knew that I wanted to have a regular newsletter. Uh, however, for me, it started off as a passion just to stay in touch with people. Uh, but little did I know how valuable it would be later on when I actually launched the course. I'd say, hey, now I have an audience of 8,000 people who want to hear from me. Uh, and that allowed me to, to kind of launch this business. I love that. So if you are listening to this podcast right now, I'm just going to highlight the list bit. Because I made exactly the mistake that Tan said. I didn't bother setting up a mailing list. (laughs) I didn't bother setting up until years in. And then you've missed a whole bunch of people. You've missed a whole bunch of things you can do. So if you are listening to this and you don't have a mailing list, get one. If you're listening to this and thinking of starting up, set it up. I've looked at your website and I love it, by the way. When you first started, how did you get people to sign up to your mailing list? Was it just as simple as, did you like my article? Want to be informed of the next one? Or were you were you as advanced as you are now back then? No, I barely knew what a lead magnet was back then, or as, as like people call it nowadays. So for those who don't know, it's kind of like a free gift or a freebie that you give people in exchange for subscribing to your newsletter or email list. Uh, I simply said, hey, if you love this article or love this content and you want more, just subscribe to my newsletter. I send an email newsletter every single week with more tips and and, and tips, uh, tips and strategies. And that's it. Because again, I never thought this was going to be a business. I just want to stay in touch with people. And on the side, I would just write a newsletter every single week about things that I didn't publicly talk about on the blog. Mm. And so it was oftentimes kind of timely to my life or things that were going on or things I was reading or things uh, I found interesting that I found on the internet. And so it was kind of a newsletter that I wanted to create where my friends and family would just kind of know what I was doing and what, what I was up to and things I was learning along the way. And then maybe linking to a few articles that I wrote in the past that are relevant to the topic I was writing about in the newsletter. Uh, and that was really it. Sure, I had it at the bottom of every single article. I had it on the homepage. I had it on the about page. Uh, kind of like best practices is to 
have placements in all these different pages because often yes. your home page your about page is are the two pages that have the most eyeballs so you want to make sure it's it's there and that something i learned from from nick as well and so yeah just did the really simple stuff and it, it was just good enough i love that because that's a, a message i would love to hear because i think when I looked at this at the start, I was thinking, oh, I must have a lead magnet, which is this thing that gets people to sign up and I must do this. And then I just didn't do it because it became too big a thing. Uh, and when I eventually did it on my blog and put it in, it was literally just a, you know, sign up here if you want to hear what I'm up to. That's it. <laughs> if you don't, I don't care, but I just need a simple version to start. And I'd love everyone to hear, like, just get it started. You can get it better as you go forwards. You definitely can. And like, if you want to look, go to Tam's website right now, asianefficiency.com. Uh, and my favorite bit right at the top, you've got discover the seven habits of highly efficient people that have lots of free time. Get your free guide. Um, and I was there going, okay, once I finish the podcast, I'm going to download the guide. See what he's you got me with that one. I love it. But that kind of thing really does work to get people engaged and it builds the list and the most valuable thing in your business is your list because that's people who are going to yeah. buy from you. Even today, even in 2022, the email list is one of the most important assets that you have. Um, not your social media pages, not, not, not even your website. Honestly, your email list is probably the most valuable aspect of it because if, even if your website is down, they can still get your email. So, uh, it's a way for you to be directly in touch with people versus with your website. You don't have direct communication with your people necessarily. Uh, and neither do your social media pages because they're controlled by somebody else that can say, hey, you know what? I don't like your content or page and I'm going to shut it down. So the email list is the really most valuable thing that you own. And so I would always uh, recommend that people, one, start one, but also nourish it. Uh, just give a lot of free stuff away, give a lot of value to your uh, readers and uh, you'll be in good shape. I couldn't have said it better myself, so I'm not going to repeat it. I'm just going to leave it sitting there, get a mailing list. So you've been on this incredible journey, and I'm so impressed. From building this business, what are the biggest things you've learned along the way that you think the audience could use to help them make progress in their business? Because we've highlighted a couple. We've highlighted... Um, focusing on the problem you're fixing and actually asking upfront what the problem is. We've highlighted once you've done that, putting together something that offers it and having a list to actually be able to sell to. Like there's some great learnings in this because it was kind of niche marketing, but without actually calling that, it was like asking what they need, focusing on that market. What, what else do you think would help people make progress on their business? What are some of the things you wished you'd done earlier? Some of the things you did, but you were like, oh, that worked really well. Or even some of the best stuff is always, I did that, didn't work, biggest waste of time. Save us <laughs> not doing some things. Yeah, just on top of mind, I would say some of the do's and don'ts. Uh, definitely one of the do's is make sure you spend time every single week upgrading or working on your your business or your side project. So for me, it was, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm going to write a blog post every single week. No matter what happens, I'm going to write every single week because I know over time it's going to grow into something bigger. So I made it a priority every single week to make sure I created time to do that. So it wasn't like one week I'm going to do something, another week I'm doing nothing. And then when you skip one week, it could easily turn into two weeks that you skip in three weeks and then maybe you come back five weeks later. Uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to just doing something once a week. So I think making that commitment and saying, hey, I'm going to do something, especially if you have a full-time job already, doing something once a week to get something out there is uh, really important. It gives you a lot of momentum. Definitely the 80-20, I would say, is, uh, or another way of saying this, it's very easy to get distracted nowadays. Back mm -hmm. then, I knew I just needed to focus on writing really good blog posts and having an, uh, a decent email newsletter. That's the only thing I was focusing on. So I knew that if I wrote a really good blog post, it would oftentimes get a lot of viewers. Uh, people would find me organically through SEO. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily focused on doing YouTube and doing a podcast and 
promoting myself on social media. These are good ideas, but I also had a full-time job, right? And this wasn't a business yet. This was just a passion project. So I really needed to focus in. And this is something I've always remembered from reading other business books is make sure you have one product that has one distribution channel and just rinse and repeat that over and over and over again until you hit a critical stage and then you can focus on other things. And so I knew blogging for me was my distribution channel and my product essentially was uh, growing the email newsletter. And so I just kept focusing on that. Uh, I didn't say yes to YouTube. I didn't say yes to podcasting. Uh, none of that until many, many years later. And once I did launch a podcast, it immediately became a hit uh, because I had a big audience um, from years of building my my website. And so I want to really encourage people to resist the shiny objects of like being on TikTok, being on YouTube, doing podcasts and doing all of these at the same time. Uh, I would say find one channel or one medium where you have a lot of distribution, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, blogging, whatever it might be for you, podcasting, find one thing and focus on that distribution channel and on one product that you might have instead of creating multiple products. Uh, because if you can't sell one product over and over and over again, you don't really have a business or a market product market fit, as people like to call it nowadays. Uh, you have to figure out, like, how do I have this one product that I can sell over and over and over and over again? Once you have that, then you know you have a business that can then grow and scale and, and do all these other things. But it starts with saying no to a lot of things that might distract you. This makes me so happy to hear this. I'm just going to bring up something just to see what happens. Gary Vaynerchuk inspired me for a long time in many different ways, but he's famous for kind of running around going, if you could have all of these marketing channels, why wouldn't you? Be on TikTok, be on Facebook, be on Audio Stream 2023, be on like whatever the latest one is. And he's kind of constantly screaming, hustle, 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 and do it all, and all of those messages, which I found incredibly overwhelming like some of his messages are very powerful and very useful but I found that part of the message incredibly overwhelming and here you are saying the opposite in a very chilled out way you seem far too relaxed can you be relaxed and be an entrepreneur or do I not have to panic and do it all well uh we've done enough podcasts together that uh, I'm definitely very relaxed as you can tell <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, when I heard Gary Vee say that, one thing I had to learn the hard way uh, is you have to kind of contextualize every piece of business advice that someone gives you. So if a billionaire says, you know, the best way to make money right now is to invest in the stock market, that might be good advice for being a billionaire. However, if you're someone who has a full-time job and you maybe have $100 a week disposable, uh, if you wanted to make wealth, that's probably not the way to go starting a business probably has a lot more leverage, right? So you have to contextualize every piece of advice. And the same thing with Gary Vee, when Gary Vee talks about you have to be everywhere. If your goal is to build a media brand or a personal brand, and you have all this like business on the side already, then yeah, being everywhere makes a lot of sense because you reach more people, you have more eyeballs. And if you have more eyeballs, you're a bigger celebrity, a bigger personal brand, and that's gonna help you on your media agency, which Gary Vee owns. But if you're starting business, having that focus spread all over is actually detrimental because your time is limited. You don't have that many resources. You probably don't have a huge agency or media company behind you. So in the maybe two, three hours a week that you have available, you really have to focus on what matters. And what matters is the product that you have or build and the distribution, whether that's you know advertising, whether it's podcasting, whether it's blogging, being on social media, whatever that might be for you, you have to focus on that. And oftentimes, even with social media, I would focus on one platform and get really good at it before you start being everywhere. And so while the advice is good, it, you just have to understand how to contextualize it. So in this case, if you're a starting entrepreneur, I would actually say, hey, focus on one channel, one social media channel, uh, get really good at that and grow that before you decide to move to other places. It's like pick the one. I'm going to be an expert in TikTok. I'm going to be an expert in this. I'm going to be an expert and I'm going to 
focus on that one thing to grow my business to start with. Because I know whenever I do, like, I'll do a little bit of LinkedIn and I'll do a little bit of Twitter and I'll do a little bit of Facebook and then none of them ever make any progress. And I feel like I'm just putting a post out on each and shouting into the void, the black void of social media where my messages get swallowed and disappear. I love that. So please, if you're listening to this, hear this. Focus on the one channel. Focus on that channel, that distribution that you can get your product out to the world. It's phenomenal advice. And it is the opposite of what a lot of people advise you to do out there. Focus is so critical. One thing I'm curious about, Tan, is mentors. How did you find and keep mentors? Has this been your only mentor? Have you had many others? How did that work? How did you get people to help you make progress? So I want to say I have maybe two mentors uh, thus far. And the first one, Nick, that I mentioned, uh, I, I met him because I was at a seminar, uh, his seminar, by any chance. So <laughs> I went to his talk and I was really inspired by his message of just like living your best life possible. And, and I, uh, after he was done with his talk, I said, you know what? Uh, I would love to quote unquote, pick his brain, which is actually the worst thing to do <laughs> when you have a mentor, <laughs> is to say, can I pick your brain? Mm -hmm. uh, the better thing to do was, uh, and which is something I kind of did by accident. It wasn't strategically done, but I said, Hey Nick, I really enjoyed your talk. I'm a college student. I know I can learn so much from you. Can I buy you lunch sometime? And can I ask you for some advice on what I want, what I should do after college? And he was very impressed by that. And he said, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of time, but if you can do lunch next week on this date, I'm happy to take you up on that. And I said, okay, perfect. Whatever place and time you want, I will make time for it. You know, I'm going to accommodate your schedule. So that's, we met up for lunch. That's the way and, to do it. That like, I will make it to wherever you are. Just tell me. I think so many times like, oh, it, I can't make it there. Can you make it here? And then it just gets painful to make it happen. Um, so I think what you did there just makes it easy for whoever you want to talk to. I think, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to highlight that for everyone because it, it's, it's a real huge differentiator. So what I ended up doing was um, that really impressed him. And this, this, this was done strategically was uh, he started a YouTube channel at that time. And this is again, maybe 2012, 2013. Um, no, this is much earlier, actually 2008, 2009. Um, because this is before I started AE. So 2008, 2009, this is when YouTube barely started off, right? And he just found out about it. So he started his own YouTube channel. But because I had some web programming background, I learned a little bit about what SEO was. Mm. And so what I did was I looked at his YouTube channel, which I noticed he started posting on there regularly. Uh, but, you know, his titles would be motivationalspeech.mov or MPG, MPG ah. like the, the, the name of the file of the video. And I said, uh, you know what? I'm going to create a report that will show him how you can improve the SEO of your YouTube videos, your YouTube channel, so you can get more views and thus more clients. And so I wrote maybe like a 15-page report, and I created like wow. screenshots and annotated it. And I said, hey, you have to change it to these keywords um, because I knew a little bit about SEO. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to create an SEO report for him, essentially. I'll do all these things to improve your YouTube. And I think you get, you know, 10x the number of viewers that you get. So when I showed up, I had this beautiful laminated FedEx report that I created. And I gave it to him. And I said, hey, uh, before I came here, I created this report for you that I think you'll find helpful for, you know, improving your YouTube and hopefully get more, you know, eyeballs. And so he was so impressed by that that uh, essentially after lunch, he said, hey, you know what? Uh, you should come intern for me and actually implement this stuff for me. And I was like, okay, great, um, let's do it. So after college, uh, college days uh, during the week, I would like drive over to his office in, in Hollywood and uh, just sit at his you know, office and take my laptop with me and just sit there, work on this SEO and his YouTube. And uh, within a week or so I was done and I was like, what else do you have for me? <laughs> and said, uh, you know what? I actually would like to hire you full time. Why don't you go work for me full time? And I said, okay. Whoa. So that's how I ended up dropping out because I was learning so much being yeah. with him and doing stuff with him. So he be naturally became my mentor because I was just 
you know, he was older than me, more successful than me, but I was showing him that I had this willingness to learn and also that I was actually doing stuff as well. Right. That I think made a big impression on me. Where's that question? What else do you have? Like whoever asks that, who are you? Whoever asks, like, what else do you have? No one does that. They like do what they do and then kind of wait to be told what to do next. So I love that approach, that hunger. And when I sense that, I'm like, this is a person I want to hang out with. This is a person that is doing things, making things happen because it's a differentiator. Um, and your approach, I think is genius. I love it because you actually did something for the person. I had an email this week on the rebel finance school that we're running right now, teaching people about their business, their finances and basically said, I think you could really help me. I want you to talk me through my finance plan. And I'm like, I'm running the course. I'm giving away my time. I'm helping as many as people as possible. And then there's the ones on the course that like have issues like they really need my help i don't have time just to go through your plan if i did that with all three four thousand people on the course i would never sleep again so i said like keep doing the course thanks very much <laughs> and pushed it back because like there was no there was no way it was going to help me and actually i didn't feel like i could help them much beyond like, just do the course. You'll get there. Like, I've, I'm doing a 10-week course on how to manage your finances. That's enough for now. Do that. So I think what you did was adding value. And then that question, what else do you have? <laughs> just, just genius. Just genius. You do not get that. Got one more question before we sort of wrap up with the advice at the end, which is, where did this mindset come from? <laughs> where... Where did you find this mindset? Was it from the reading you were doing of self-help books? Was it from the days in the library? Was it from your parents? Like, how did you develop this mindset of, like, just to have that thought of, oh, this guy's building a YouTube channel. I can see what he's doing. Let me write a report and give him value. Just to have that thought. It's not normal, Tan. It's not normal. You're not normal, and I love it. Ooh, where did it come from? I would say probably from reading all the books um, like I mentioned, I loved going to the library when I was younger and um, reading about random things like the Encyclopedia of the Ocean or the Encyclopedia <laughs> of the Earth. And uh, I was just obsessed with just learning about different things. And uh, from there, I just start getting into self-help books over time. So at 12, 13, I start reading, you know, Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, like all the mm -hmm. classics that people know of. And so when you start reading enough of those things, you start to recognize like certain patterns of like, make sure you give value before you ask for value, right? That's like one of the basic ideas. And so if you read it enough, I thought, okay, how do I actually apply this? And so when I was meeting up with Nick, it kind of reminded me of saying, hey, uh, I'm asking for value because I'm asking for him to go out for lunch. But you know, one way to give him value is I'm gonna pay for lunch. That's another example, right? Or I'm going to give him this report um, just to say thank you. And so, yeah, just I think it just came from the books, honestly. And just when you're reading those books, you never know how you apply them and how situations play out. It's just you have to keep reading and accumulating that knowledge. And uh, I was just fortunate to say, hey, I've had this wealth of knowledge and now I just need to figure out how to apply it. And it just came into fruition in that, in that moment. And so... Um, it's, it's nice to be able to say, Hey, you know, I've read maybe seven books. They all say the same thing, but sometimes it takes an eighth time to read it and go, Oh, now I actually get it. And so, uh, having read a lot of books now after a while, they kind of all look the same, but guess what? Um, we all have to be reminded every now and then of the basic principles and basic ideas. And, um, even, you know, having this conversation, I remind myself, like, how can I give value to Alan? How can I help him? Right. And it's just such a simple idea. But um, once you get it, uh, it will just never escape you, hopefully. And if it does, it's nice to be reminded of it through reading and conversations like this and listen to podcasts and so on. I think you're so right. And people always ask, like, how was I so good at starting businesses? So, well, I sat through my own business startup course every week for like 10 years 
<laughs> and I'd be teaching people about marketing and sales. And as I was doing it, I was going, oh, no, we should really do this for my business. I must do this. I've forgotten to do this basic principle. And every time I do the podcast, I end up like talking to people like you've given me ideas and reminded yourself. I give people ideas and I'm like, oh, I'm not doing this on my own website. Don't tell them I'll do it when I finish the call. I've reminded myself to do this thing. Um, and that repetition is so because it is the basics. Like I think we make it too fancy. If we can get the basics, the fundamentals really strong and do them really well, like the product we're offering, how we're getting it to the people, the price we're charging and repeat it and do it really, really, really well, rather than looking for the next shiny way to sell things, the next like scheme, for want of a better word, will grow so much faster. So look, this podcast is flown by you have been phenomenal do you have a closing thought or message that you'd love to give to the audience that are out there building businesses right now they're out there trying to build the life of their dreams right now what would you say to them if they were buying you lunch staring into your eyes and thinking how do i get forwards what would you say to them as someone who uh, teaches productivity for a living, uh, I think this message is also important, but it's to stay focused. So it's so easy to get distracted and sidetracked nowadays. Like I said, to be everywhere, to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, you just really need to focus on one product and one channel. That's the main thing you have to focus on. That's the 80-20 of just growing your business and starting it is what's one product or service that I can deliver? And what's one channel that I have where I can distribute it to as many people as possible. So if you can focus on those two things, everything else is kind of like secondary or tertiary. So just focus on those two things. And I think you're going to uh, very, be very successful at it. Phenomenal advice. I love it. And if you want to find out more, um, if it's okay if I tell people about your website, because I always think it's like everyone else tells them, but like go check out Asian Efficiency, check out the Productivity Show. You may find me on one of the episodes, but check out the Productivity Show. Like Tan's content is excellent, and I highly recommend you to listen to some of his episodes. Check out the website, download that guide at the start on his website. Please do check those things out. And all that remains is just to say thank you for coming on the show and so generously giving your ideas and energy. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was. Now to the rest of you, stay focused. Let's make this happen. Goodbye. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.